Hi, I'm Catherine Gray, founder of She Angel Investors and co-founder of the She Angels Foundation. I'm also the podcast host of Invest in Her and an award-winning producer, author, and TEDx speaker. Our show, Invest in Her, features phenomenal female founders and funders. As you know, women receive less than 2% of venture capital funding. Our series is about accelerating the funding of women by connecting them to funding resources. Let's meet today's guest. Welcome to this week's edition of Invest in Her. I'm your host, Catherine Gray, founder of She Angel Investors and co-founder of the She Angels Foundation. And as you know, every week we have on amazing women that are doing incredible work in the world. And today is no different. We have on the founder of Planting Hope, which is a plant-based uh, food company, food and beverage. And uh, we have a trailblazer in that food and beverage industry. Please welcome to the show, Julia Stamberger. Hi, Julia. How are you? Hi, Catherine. Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you. I really Great. appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk more about what we're doing at the Planning Hope Company. Um, you know, we we actually uh, took a hard look at the company over the course of the last few months and have updated our positioning um, because although, you know, we do produce plant-based foods, we are at our heart a food technology company that's focused on sustainable solutions. So really what we're doing is we're taking cutting edge ingredient and um, packaging technology and leveraging that in those formulations to crack the code on taking the world's most sustainable crops and making the world's most sustainable consumer products. I love that. Uh, wonderful synopsis. And, you know, and full disclosure, I am a small investor in this company through Wealthing VC. Um, I really believe in what you're doing. I love your products. Um, but first, let's tell everybody a little bit about your background and how you got into food and beverage, uh, because you've always been a trailblazer in this arena, uh, recognized by Crane as one of the most notable entrepreneurs in Chicago, and uh, also inducted into the Exceptional Women Awards, uh, just to name a few of your accolades. And um, I want to say that, you know, you were a trailblazer in the food and beverage industry in the airlines market uh, before what you're doing now. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that because people need to understand, you know, how did you get from the, you know, to where you are today? So it was an interesting road, right? You have uh, really revolutionized the snack pack um, on planes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that, where this all began. Absolutely. So about 20 years ago, I was pulled into United Airlines when they were going through bankruptcy and they were looking for other ways to make money at the airline besides ticketing. And one of the big challenges uh, economically for airlines is that they're all playing on a fairly level playing field when it comes to their operational costs. You know, there's yield management, there's fuel costs, there's, uh, there's, there's unions, there's all sorts of other kind of fixed costs. And then when you get to food, it becomes this additional piece that even though it's small for the airlines, those margin pieces can make or break it. So in the early 2000s, the large carriers, so, you know, the United American Continental at the time of the world, had all kind of decided- By the way, none okay, of the millennials remember any of this except United, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and then, and then fast forward about six years, about half of them disappeared through consolidation. So yeah, there's right. a good reason. Uh, but they will remember Southwest and JetBlue. And those were driving a lot of change in the airline industry because they were flying on the same routes, but with a slightly different cost structure. And it 
particularly around food, they didn't serve free meals and economy. Now, what the millennials will also not remember is that that used to be a thing. You used to get food on an aircraft. It was if it was going over 90 minutes. Um, and, you know, these days, you know, not so much. There's not a hot tray service in back. And the reason behind that is because the carriers needed to compete on a more level playing field. And in order to do so, the big guy said, you know, we can't afford to do this anymore. The costs are too much. Well, their caterers came back and said, okay, we get it. But that was an important part of our business was serving those meals. We still believe people need to eat. And therefore, what we'll do is we'll offer food for sale. And then when we make money, we'll share the profits and everybody wins. In theory, that sounds great. It doesn't work. And the reason is the is the refresh food. You have the better part of a day to sell it through based on airline health regulations. So, you know, you, you get two flight legs. And if you don't sell it through, you have to throw it away. Well, the issue there becomes hitting the number. It could be three people on one flight one day, 10 on the next. And it's a small numbers game on a cabin that's about 130 seats. So long story short, it didn't work. Um, and that's where I came in. Uh, my thought was, okay, if we can uh, reprovision things like cocktail stacks and liquor minis that have long shelf life and are not perishable onto the aircraft, we should be able to do the same with food. The catch is the food has to taste good and it has to be a meal. So can we make a meal out of effectively individually packaged shelf stable components that are building blocks? So rather than a sandwich with sides, can we make that out of things like salami slices, cheese spread, crackers? You know, can create a great tapas plate that has individually packaged hummus, olives, pita chips, whatever it might be. That was the premise. And then I had to figure out how to do it. And at that point in time, the food market was evolving rapidly, but it was miles behind where we are today. There were still a lot of crazy artificial ingredients, additives, colors, preservatives, and things in most of the food that we ate, but there was change coming. And that change was being driven by small entrepreneurial companies that saw a need for something better. And the really important part of this equation was that consumers were listening. And so there was major disruption going on in the market as consumers started to embrace and look for those brands and the big guys couldn't innovate fast enough. It was those small players that really said, this is meaningful and therefore I'm going to figure it out, who did figure it out. And it turns out in partnering with them to figure out what was possible, you could strip a lot of the bad stuff out of food. There wasn't really a reason to do it, except it hadn't been done. So I ended up partnering with, you know, dozens of small food brands that were able to produce the right food in long shelf life packaging with clean label ingredients that tasted great. And that's how the snack box concept on airlines was born. So I launched that on United. It became the backbone of their domestic meal programs. And then um, other airlines started copying, but they copied by tipping over a vending machine into a box. It just, you know, you can't put five cookies and a bee stick in a box and call it a meal. And so I said, you know what? There's a real opportunity here to do things right. And so I left United with United as a customer and started a company that then pioneered that concept across all of the airlines. And, uh, you know, as you fast forward the next few years, um, we ended up doing a lot in food. Um, I created an airline food brokerage that still exists today as one of the top brokerages in that space, partnering with all the airlines. Uh, spun off a retail brand that grew in Target and others very rapidly so that people could have these for home use. And that ultimately put me in the position in, a, in 2016 to start what's today the Planning Hope Company.
Love it. I mean, who wouldn't get behind you, girl? <laughs> I mean, you're a trailblazer in this space and an innovator. I think you called yourself a perpetual innovator. I love that. Uh, who doesn't want to get behind a perpetual innovator, especially in the healthy food space, which is just, you know, burgeoning right now. So you're, I feel like you're right place, right time. Uh, I first heard about you um, of course, through Wealthing VC, Alicia Castilla Holly, but also, um, you know, I was so interested when I understood, first of all, that it was a woman behind it. And uh, second of all, um, that you were doing these um, sesame milk. And I thought, wow, sesame milk. I wonder how that tastes. That would be incredible replacement for things that are using too much water for our environment, like almond milk. And um sent some you sent some samples and I was like wow this is great and I think you have you know such a great product there especially love the, the sesame chocolate milk um amazing and then you have all these other great products I want you to tell everybody about um in the planting hope family that uh and then we I want to talk about your interesting business strategy so but let's first talk about you know what made you decide which um, products you were going to have? Did you innovate them? Did they already exist and you brought them in like the right rice, for instance, which I know now you'll be distributing in some um, food chains. And 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 uh, of course, people can buy your products online. So let's talk about what the products are and how people can get them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I should point out something else too, as we're getting started. You mentioned that you're an investor in the company through Wealthing VC. And I think that, you know, a lot of folks are sitting around saying, you know, I'd love to get involved with some of these fast growth food companies. But by the time I hear about them, you know, they're fairly far along. I don't have the pipeline to get involved. Well, we very intentionally took our company public a number of years ago. And although you invested, Catherine, um, through a private round that we did as a private placement, anyone can go and buy our stock today. It's publicly traded and uh, we're on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol MYLK for milk, like our sesame milk. We're also traded on the OTCQB. The good news is, is because so much liquidity has been sidelined over the course of the last year with the capital markets, it's starting to come out, it's coming out quickly. And right now there's some bargains to be had in terms of stock acquisition. Uh, so if anybody's interested in looking closer at what we're doing, there's a ton of information on our website and a presentation. So with Sesame Milk and what we're doing there, what came to light in you know, about 2016 was the following. First of all, there was very, very clear data that consumers worldwide were changing the way that they eat. And it was a change that was a definite shift um, but it wasn't the kind of complete shift you were seeing in the news. Here's what's happening. People are eating more plants, period. That's it. They're not abandoning animal proteins. The world isn't becoming vegan. Uh, the world isn't even becoming vegetarian, but people are consciously making swaps to just eat more plants, whether that's a meatless Monday or something else that they're doing on the plate. And sometimes it's driven because of specific health and wellness and dietary needs. For instance, 75% of the planet is intolerant to dairy proteins on some level. It's a big number. Um, and that is what has caused the plant-based milk industry to grow so quickly. What, what, what it, was that percentage? How many people? 75%. 75%? 75%. Wow. Wow. In some cultures where they're you know, genetically less predisposed to be able to convert lactose in the body, it can be higher. And so in Asia, it's north of 90%. Oh my gosh. 
and and it doesn't mean that you know they have a sip of milk you know they're going to go into a, you know shock it means that their body doesn't tolerate it so that can result in you know general you know gastrointestinal distress inflammation or just generally folks are finding that if they cut milk out of their diet um, they feel better and you know have have better health and wellness now i grew up in switzerland you know the cows are prized but we're seeing the same things happen even in western europe is this fast drive towards plant-based milk products um, and in fact it's happening so quickly that gen z is actually anti-dairy it is not cool to order dairy milk um, at cafes and things and we're now seeing that upwards of 50 percent of the you know quote unquote milk ordered in cafes and hotter ice drinks is actually plant milk so this rise is happening and in fact the plant milk segment has been growing by 15 percent cogger for the last 15 years and it's anticipated to continue and even start accelerating. So what was 10 years ago, a $10 billion category worldwide, today is 35 billion and it'll be a hundred billion by the end of 2030. If you've seen oat milk go from nowhere to everywhere seemingly overnight, that actually happened in six years. Oatly was the only folks worldwide making enzymatically processed oat milk um, about six years ago. They've been doing it for 20 years. They started growing in North America and they took that category from 45 million to 6 billion in six years. Wow. That's how quickly this is growing. And that's also how quickly the right product can grow in this space. And is that what you're thinking about sesame milk, that it has that opportunity? By far. So the plant-based milk category itself is more than double the size of plant-based meat. People have heard about plant-based meat as something that's important in the plant-based category. It's relatively small. In fact, just almond milk alone is bigger than all of plant-based meat combined. Wow. Just almond milk. Well, when we looked at this category, what got us to sesame milk is that seeing that people were leaving plant dairy milk quickly and they were doing it for health and wellness and they but they were trading off something which is very nutritious for something that wasn't at all. So for instance, dairy provides eight grams of complete protein and animal proteins provide all nine essential amino acids that your body can't make but has to get from food. Those aren't typically present in a complete form in most plants. There are some things like soy that can provide a complete protein. Very few do. That's why you see cultures eat rice and beans together at the same meal, for instance. That combination provides a complete protein. Well, almond milk has basically no almonds in it. It's effectively flavored water. It's vitamin water. There's less than a gram of protein per serving in almond milk, yet that's currently the biggest category in plant milk. Well, um, that's mind blowing. Like everybody must think that it's full of protein. That's interesting. Well, almonds are, you know, yeah. almonds are. Yeah. Almond milk is not. If you tried to commercialize a protein rich almond milk, it would cost $20 a liter. It's not viable. Wow. Interesting. So if you look at your, you know, almond milk, go check your fridge, you know, look at the back of the box and you will see one gram or less of protein per serving. Dairy milk has eight grams of complete protein. Almond milk has less than a gram of partial protein. So we said, well, I know, I know uh, you're going to tell us what, what a sesame milk has. Well, we developed sesame milk to match dairy. We said, why can't we? Why can't we provide something that is a sustainable solution that's also as nutritious? Because again, the second biggest reason that people are going for you know, plant-based solutions is because they're better for the earth. 
on the surface. But let's face it, almond farming requires a lot of water. It also kills a lot of bees. 30% of the commercial bee population in the US dies every year as a result of almond farming because that crop is so valuable and it has to be pollinated by bees. So millions are shipped in and they die from the stress or frankly, the pesticides in those monocultures. So anyway, we, it's not a, not a great trade-off from a sustainability standpoint. And we said, can we do better? Well, you know, sesame is one of the most sustainable crops on earth. It thrives in desert environments with very little water and it's frequently used as a cover crop on rotation with heavy feeders like cotton, which are also good cash crops. So a farmer can rotate sesame in with cotton, refix nitrogen back into the soil and prepare their soil for very little inputs because sesame is also naturally pest resistant due to a bitter acid in the hull of the seeds. So you don't need Roundup, you know, you don't need any of these things that are toxic and it doesn't cost a lot to farm. Now, what do you do with the sesame once you've farmed it? Well, the easy thing to do is because it's an oil crop, press it for oil, sell off the oil as a commodity, and that pulp that's remaining is used for animal feed or discarded. That pulp is a huge source of human nutrition. It just hasn't been used before. And why not? Well, it's difficult. It took us five years and uh, more than you know $10 million of investment to figure out sesame milk and crack that code. But once we had, what we have with sesame milk is a product that's nutritionally equivalent to dairy milk with eight grams of complete protein per serving. But it's also extraordinarily sustainable. And a lot of the technology that went into figuring out sesame milk wasn't, you know, with Frankenstein, you know, products or anything weirder and sexy. It was uh, trying to do things like sesame is naturally very bitter. If you've ever had a ground uh, tahini, it's ground sesame seeds. There's a bitterness to that. It's very quickly covered up in cooking, but that's because of that bitter acid in the hull of the sesame seed. The hull is removed when it's uh, put on top of hamburger buns, for instance, so you don't taste it. We developed organic compliant bitter blocking ingredients that float that bitter note over the tongue. So that was some of the technology that went into developing sesame milk. But the result is the most you know, sustainable milk on the planet it um, with multiple upcycled ingredients too that form the basis of sesame. So sesame itself is sustainable, but our sesame milk is upcycled ad additionally. That's amazing. And a lot of people don't know what upcycled is, but that's reusing things that are like being recycled, but then reused into food, right? Well, it's, it's a little, it, so so upcycled, I've always found to be a tricky term because, you know, mispresented, it can sound like, you know, you're using, you know, bad stuff in food. It's not, it's effectively taking products that are still extraordinarily nutritious, but are the byproducts of another product process. So for instance, with sesame, it's that the principal way that sesame was used was for the oil. The oil was extracted. Most of the nutrition is in the pulp. The pulp previously wasn't used in a format that it fed into human nutrition. We are upcycling that out of the waste stream or the animal food stream um, that feeds that side of agriculture into a direct source of human nutrition. And that's kind of the source of the term upcycling. Fantastic. Um, so how come more people don't know about sesame milk? Like what's the game plan? How are we going to get that into the mainstream? Well, one thing is new. Um, you know, we you know spent a lot of years getting it right. 
And in addition to, you know, making the core product, which by the way, you can get at grocery stores now or online at um, planninghopebrands.com or on Amazon or all sorts of places near you. Um, we ensured that we also did something very, very specific that was very, very important. And that is make a product that works for baristas. And the reason you need a product that works for baristas is one of the major uses of plant milk that more than doubles the activity that you see in grocery store and home use is use in coffee and hot and ice beverages. And to perform in hot and ice beverages, you need something which performs like dairy milk. This is how oat milk went from nowhere to everywhere overnight. Coffee shops were seeing a rise in demand for vegan or plant-based options, but all they had to offer customers were almond and soy. Well, if almond is effectively water, it froth foam steams like water. Not well at all. Baristas right. even complain about the like shrieking sound it makes when you know you try to, to, to foam it and the smell that's emitted because it's kind of a burnt smell. It doesn't really work well in coffee at all. Soy was the other one they had. Um, froth foams and steams a little bit better, but has an overwhelming taste for the coffee. And uh, baristas prize you know, the quality of their beans, the roast, and those core ingredients and want to showcase those. When oat came along, the reason it went from nowhere to everywhere was because it performed well in coffee. It froth foam steamed and it had a neutral taste associated with it. So it made it a good platform for that. It was also very sweet. Now, the reason that oat milk is so sweet is because enzymatically processed oat milks are made the same way as um, you produce high fructose corn syrup from corn. You know, you take those sugars and you convert them into a type of sugars. You take the naturally occurring sugars in the product, convert them to a type of sugar that your body doesn't process well. With oats, the sugars that are naturally occurring in oats when processed enzymatically become maltose. Maltose has a glycemic index of 105. By comparison, a can of Coke has a glycemic index of 75. It is a very spiky sugar for your body. It tastes sweet, but it's not good for you. And so we've got, you know, almond water, that's the vitamin water of the plant milk industry. And we have oat milk, it's the Coca-Cola of the plant milk industry. Uh, what we're creating with sesame milk, we intend to be the milk of the plant-based milk industry. In other words, that thing that, you know, you eat because it's good for your body <laughs> and it supplies a lot of nutrients. Wow. What a lesson in this. That's incredible. And, and I just knew I liked the sesame. I figured it was healthier than the other and better for the environment, but I didn't actually know all of those benefits. That's, that's incredible. Can't wait to see it everywhere. Well, and Catherine, you asked the question on how are we going to get it everywhere? Uh, yeah. We made a product baristas love to use. They love the smell. They love the way that it froth foams and steams. They love the way it complements coffee beverages and the way that it performs. In fact, we've won dozens of industry awards, a silly number of industry awards for the performance and the taste and everything else around sesame milk, particularly the barista product. Our next step is to grow with the baristas. So we've spent the last year sewing up distribution that goes into those food service channels that reaches the last miles of barista. And now we're in the process of introducing the product to it, into them. Try it, you know, see how you like it, see how it performs. And what we're so this seeing- This would be is, places like Starbucks, Pete's, all these different coffee shops. Well, absolutely. In fact, there are more coffee shops down in the U.S. There are about 72,000. There are more than grocery stores, significantly more. Half of those are chains, such as the ones you mentioned. The other half are independents. 
Um, and so there are, you know, literally tens of thousands of independent coffee shops that are all looking to showcase great products. So those are the tastemakers. We'll be there first and uh, look for our barista product, which is actually this rainbow box. So it's very visible behind the counter. But what we're seeing um, happen with cafes is they are concerned about almond milk and they have been for a long time because of the sustainability issues. Usually those cafes, you know, they care about the quality of all of their inputs and the sustainability impact that they have on the earth. And what we're seeing happen frequently is they're using bringing on sesame milk as an excuse to also cancel almond milk at the same time. And we get messages every week from cafes who are like, we're really glad to have a sustainable solution finally that performs well and tastes great in our coffee. We're bringing in sesame milk. We're proudly putting it next to oat milk on the menu and, you know, bye-bye almond milk. You know, I just want to mention, since you did hold that up, I love your packaging. It's absolutely brilliant. I've never seen a milk product with such a great packaging on it. Thank you very much. Yeah, we took great pride in doing this. And this one is, you know, um, this one is our barista and our others are identified by color. Our barista kind of brings together the full rainbow. Uh, but we have some really fun sesame characters. And for us, it's all about the magic of sesame. And so you can see a lot of kind of fun, magical imagery around this with our anthropomorphic sesame seeds. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, it's fun. It's colorful. It's uh, something that you, you're attracted to. And, you know, branding and packaging is everything. So uh, not only do you have this fantastic product, we have fantastic branding. Uh, let's talk about a couple of your other products products, because I know uh, one of them is going to be going into a food chain that you, you and I just talked about, and it's called Right Rice. Tell us about that. So Right Rice is a really interesting product um, in that it solves a sustainability and nutrition issue in something we also eat every day, which is rice and similar grains. So it, it just so happens that rice is a major polluter globally. Um, it actually produces rice farming about 10% of the global methane. We, sit, we think about methane production and pollution as really being associated with animal um, and livestock farming. But actually, the flooding of the fields in rice production creates an environment where bacteria thrives that releases methane gas into the atmosphere. And rice is the major mm -hmm. culprit. Additionally, rice, although a great grain for human nutrition, is limited in terms of the nutrients it supplies. Doesn't have any fiber in most of it. And even brown rice just has about a gram per serving. Um, and more limited on protein than you would think. So our right rice product actually uses just 10% rice flour and 90% of flour from lentils and chickpeas and peas, which are extremely dense in both protein, but also the complementary protein that completes that amino acid chain. I mentioned earlier that rice and beans is typically eaten together in cultures because it supplies that complete protein. With our right rice product, we actually have complete protein in a single grain. Wow. And on an ounce per ounce basis, right rice has more protein than beyond meat, more than tofu, more than eggs. It has 11 grams of complete protein per serving, as opposed to typically around three that you'll find in a serving of white rice, almost four times that protein and complete protein to boot. Plus it has six grams of dietary fiber. So that means 40% fewer net carbs and a low glycemic index. And we're seeing that in cultures that heavily consume simple carbs like rice, you know, there's an increase in incidence in type two diabetes. 
And so having a low glycemic index product that can swap one for one on the plate with white rice is a you know huge opportunity for people to you know upgrade the quality of their nutrition without sacrificing taste. And it's incredibly easy to prepare. So you just add boiling water and let it sit for 10 minutes and it's ready to go. And in fact, white rice is featured by name on the restaurant menus at all Kava Mediterranean restaurants throughout the US. Now, you may have heard of Kava in the news cycle recently. They went public on the NYSE on June 15th, and it was a very closely watched IPO because the IPO window has been shut for about a year. Uh, they did extraordinarily well. Um, their guidance was you know, maybe 21 bucks a share. Well, today it's over 50 and climbing um, with more than a $5.5 billion valuation for that company. They have 260 restaurants in the US and they're levering the capital used in the IPO to more than quadruple that footprint over the next few years. Right Rice is the only item by name on the menu by brand. You can go and you can order the right rice bowl. Um, the chicken and right rice bowl is a favorite. You can order right rice as a base. And what you get is you know, a nutritious, delicious Mediterranean bowl that actually has significantly more protein just from the bowl itself without adding additional add-ons. Um, um, from that point on. Fantastic. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting to see what's happening and that you're revolutionizing this whole, you know, vegan arena, which I know we like to call plant-based. Uh, people seem to digest that better, right? Um, but so excited to see what happens with sesame and well, can't wait to see it everywhere, right rice as well. And uh, I just really applaud what you're doing in this space, making it uh, more nutritious, uh, yet all great taste, better for our health. Um, you know, there's no reason not for for the uh, society not to embrace these new innovations. So thanks for being a leader in this space. Um, people can, uh, as you mentioned, invest in this company through uh, Toronto Stock Exchange, uh, through over the counter, um, or through a private investment firm. Uh, right? Are you still doing a raise? You know, um, there there always are opportunities. If somebody is interested in finding out about things directly, they can certainly reach out to me. Um, I'm available easily at JuliaPlanningHopeCompany.com. Um, and also we have a, you know, newsletter on our site you can sign up with for updates on our products and things that, you know, our press releases, which we put out rather frequently when we have new news, which is often. Um, and then we have a couple of other products you should check out as well. Our mosaics chips are unique in that they're pop chips with real veggies as the number one ingredient in them, but we're also packaged in actually degradable film. And so the neoplastics film that we use will degrade without any additional handling in a landfill and release a harvestable biogas. You may have heard of industrially compostable uh, film. That's a product that Frito-Lays and others are trying to get behind. Great idea, requires that you ship it to an industrial composting um, facility in order for that breakdown to happen. So this happens without any special handling, which is kind of the magic uh, because you know that that's actually gonna be converted into either degradation or clean energy. Um, so on those products are also available very widely. And one thing that we love about our products is that if they don't taste good, they're never going to go anywhere. So we take taste very seriously. They need to be easy. They need to taste great. They need to be easy swaps. And you can see the efficacy of this in that three of our products are actually up for consumer favorite awards on QVC. 
So to get a product to work on QVC is about impossible. They you know, check sales by the minute, by the second. You've got to do really, really well. And right rice, our mosaic chips, and our th uh, third line of product, Vegacopia olives, are actually all customer favorites and bestsellers. Fantastic. Fantastic. Brilliant. Can't wait to keep following you, seeing it become mainstream. This is incredible. And you're making such a wonderful difference in the world and on the planet. Thank you for everything that you're doing. We are definitely cheering you on. And um, they, they, people can find you on social. And are you on LinkedIn? Yep. Yep. You can find me on LinkedIn very, very easily. Please connect. I think I've got uh, you know, 17,000 friends on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to add to them. And we post a lot of news there as well. Great. Everybody look for Julia Stamberger. She's amazing. I know you've enjoyed hearing her story today. Thanks for tuning in. Make it a great week, everybody. Be sure to visit our sheangelinvestors.com and follow us on LinkedIn uh, as well, Catherine Gray. And of course, our Instagram, which is sheangelinvestors and invest in her, uh, Catherine Gray. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Thank you, Julia, for sharing your story and uh, can't wait to hear what's next. Make it a great Thank week, you, everybody. Catherine. Thanks.